0: Hey everybody, welcome to Shop Talk Show. This week's show is sponsored by Environments for Humans who have a conference coming up. The CSS Summit, which is of course interest to all of us front-enders. We'll talk about that later in the show. For now, let's kick this thing off.
1: Hello welcome to, I don't even know what episode it is, of the Shop Talk Show. Episode 21, I believe it is, of the Shop Talk Show. I'm Dave Rupert, and with me is Chris Coyard.
0: Hi, everybody.
1: And today, we have a really awesome guest at, who almost needs no introduction, but Nicole Sullivan. Thank you for coming on the show.
2: Thank you for having me. Uh,
1: so... Hey. Uh, as you know, uh, the Shop Talk Show is a podcast about front-end development. You know, uh, it's, if, if you're here listening, you probably know uh, why, what we're about. But, um, Nicole, if you don't know Nicole, Nicole has, jeez, Nicole, you, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you've done, your, some of your accolades in the past.
2: Oh no! You're going to make me do it. <laughs> well,
0: okay. So I we can we can guide you through it. I think you're kind of. I mean, uh, like uh, I, most people associate with you with oh, CSS, right? Or do you? Or,
2: yeah, yeah, I think so. Object-oriented CSS would be the big one, and then um, smush it. I think, even though it's not uh, exactly uh, still a service, gets a lot of attention and um, CSS lint Heck stuff
0: yeah. like that. Yeah. So toolmaker, CSS theorizer. <laughs> Not the Nicole Sullivan that you get when you do Google image search. <laughs> no, <laughs> totally, totally different Nicole. Even though you look like twenty twenty five percent ish similar. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, both, both blonde girls. Anyway, women. Look same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and recently, and but you talk about all kinds of different stuff. I just, uh, just on your blog, just from what May, uh, the end of May, there's a, a presentation you did at Fluent Comp called "Don't Feed the Trolls." Right? So what that was, was that? A out? Fun one. Yeah, um, I watched the video and it was like 12 minutes long. Did you get like super short speaking spots at that one?
2: Well, it was a it was a keynote actually, my first ever keynote. So nice. um, it's a shorter spot. Yeah, I was so nervous, incredibly, incredibly nervous. But yeah, so um,
0: keynotes have that like are like like more theoretical usually, right? So you wouldn't teach somebody something in a keynote. It's kind of like setting the stage. Is that right? Or-
2: it depends. I think there was a lot of variation. Some of the keynotes were more instructive, and others were more high level. It, it was kind of all over the place. Yeah.
0: Okay. Mm. Cool. And what was it about? I mean, not that we can't just watch the video, but.
2: <laughs> no. Uh, um, I think mainly it was about, um, that I'm a fairly shy person and I really, really struggled when I first started getting known for OOCSS. Like I stopped tweeting for like two months when I started having followers who I didn't personally know because I was like, Oh my God, I don't want to bother them. And. Wow, um, really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, it was really hard. I did not know how to be uh, be myself and be on the internet at the same time. So um, learning how to um, manage trolls was a big part of that, because then they couldn't knock me off balance as much. And um, I was really lucky at Yahoo to work with Nate Keckley, um, who was on the YUI team at the time. And he just had an amazing ability to handle trolls. And so I learned a ton from working with him and watching him work a crowd um, watching him handle some of the YUI trolls. Um, and yeah, and I kind of wanted to share that after, after a few years of doing it, I felt like I had some kind of, um, at least something funny to share, I hoped, and then maybe something useful too.
0: That's awesome. So you feel like over you've uh, at least partially or, or maybe completely overcame your, the fear of the troll, like right now?
2: Uh, no, no, I'm still afraid of it. I just don't let it stop me anymore, if that
0: yeah. makes sense. Nice. Yeah. yeah. I would say there's positive and negative ways to handle it too. I mean, I get, I get, you know, kind of my fair share of it with blog comments and stuff over the years, and I've gone from like, you know like reacting to it in a jerky kind of way just like i'm just going to delete your comment or change it to say something else or, or yeah. i don't know which is kind of like a negative way to handle it and I, don't know.
2: I don't know i feel like that can be the right way to handle it like for me what i think of it as is my blog is my world it's my community it's sort of like inviting people over for you know coffee yes, your living or something room. yeah it's totally. my living room so so i would kick
0: you right out of my house if you said that in my <laughs> living room
2: <laughs> yeah so I feel like not letting people spoil the atmosphere is um is actually a really sensible way to handle trolls sometimes um, yeah, but then I also try to find like the human bit in each troll. I try to sort of empathize and figure out what's going on with them. why does it matter so much that I misspelled a word or whatever else might be bothering them <laughs> and yards. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, the grammar Nazi troll. Um, You know, I get it now. Like, I understand that for them, like, grammar and spelling matter so much, probably as much as ideas. And so, with that in mind, I can, like, not be a hater and just be like, okay, well, this really matters to them. All right.
0: (laughs) Nice. Cool. Cool. I saw on Twitter yesterday, somebody that dude, uh, folk trash, nice guy on Twitter, was like, let's make Nicole a Wikipedia page. I was like, heck yeah, man but it doesn't i just I'm, I'm there right now and it's it maybe it's maybe it's in pending or something but i just thought i'd shout it out on on Shop talk show too like if you guys we got to get together we can't have nicole do it herself that's not fair we're going to do it for her so oh God. anybody wants to
2: <laughs> you know that came out of actually me saying that like i can't stand to write my own bio cuz it just feels so weird and smarmy and uh well, got
0: to do it in third person which is always <laughs> yeah
2: not only am I tooting my own horn, but I'm doing it in the third person. There's just something wrong about that.
0: <laughs> like playing banjos and those little rainbow fish that you eat. And, uh, <laughs> uh, mine's like,
1: Dave Rupert has a podcast that has a soundboard with fart sounds. He is, it's pretty awesome.
2: Nice. Uh, uh,
1: well, uh, so should we just get the show on the road? I, I have a, a little story if you guys would entertain me.
0: Please, Dave.
1: Um, so I was at Front End Comp, um, and, and that was put on by Dan Denny. It was super wonderful. One of my most favorite conferences I've been to, actually. Uh, but yeah, so you know, there, there's festivities, you know, and you go out drinking after after, or or just partaking in camaraderie after <laughs> after the event. <laughs> and uh, so I, there's the story. So this this guy walks into a BR. And the B.R. tender says, hey, this B.R. is closed. Waka, 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 waka. Hey, waka, waka. Ah, waka, waka, waka. Ah!
0: Nothing.
2: <laughs> it's so bad it's worth a laugh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I saw one by Idiot on Twitter. You know that guy? He was like, what is... I don't know. He's like, what did the penguin close a tag with? He's like, a burr. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs>
1: <laughs> There's another one. Somebody sent it. I'm just gonna do this one because it. Somebody sent this one in, and it was it was good. But it's why do Java developers wear glasses? Because they don't see sharp. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay.
1: I just, I've been hanging on to that <laughs> one for so long. I just, I just feel like, yeah, it took. I needed to do it justice. So whoever sent that in, I don't have your name on hand, but that was awesome. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Anyhow,
0: at Interlink in Vancouver, Canada, which is also fun. So Dave got to tell a story. I'm gonna tell a story to Jeff yeah. Sean Johnson. Thanks for having me up there. That was pretty fun. I gave my first ever workshop on respond- on like the whole web design process. and It wasn't as awesome as Dave's talk, but he got the job done. We have a couple news and links. Uh, Matt Wilcox wrote an article for the Opera blog, dev.opera.com slash articles. Yeah, it's their like, blog on current stuff going on. Matt has done a lot of work in the world of responsive images, and he wrote up kind of this, like, epic length article on like what is the problem with responsive images, what are the current solutions, what's the future of it, and it's really worth reading, so check that out. Uh, Matt Wilcox did the adaptive-images.com, which is kind of like a current polyfill for dealing with it, but is uh, also in the world of, of, of fixing the future of it. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, listen to the to the previous episode of Shop Talk Show where we talked to uh, Matt Marquis about this issue. Uh, And a little hot drama, a little hashtag hot drama that just popped up this morning. I'll see mm-hmm. if you guys even saw it. Did you see there's like this e-commerce site that literally charges customers money in their e-commerce platform if they're using IE7? It just like appends a line item that's just like, hey, you're using IE7? Well, that's an extra 6.8% to your bill. Do you guys see that? Wow. I do, I-
2: that, I do that too, honestly. Um, if customers want IE six and seven support, I charge that as a special line item. Just not because it, um, you know, not because I want to say don't support those browsers, but because I want them to realize that the cost associated with it, so they can yeah, make more- actual choices. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, for sure, I, th- that's more than fair in freelance work. Uh, but just to be clear, this was like the, like you literally buy like TVs and. They're charging
2: their like C customers, right? Yeah, their yeah. actual
0: customers, crazy. And you know, so if yeah. they, you know, what's wrong? We do it. Maybe they should do it. I. It felt a little weird when I was reading it. Right away, I was like, Wow, that's what should I have like an Android tax too? If there's problems with that, or should I have a mm-hmm. responsive web design tax? Because it took me longer to build this website. What? Where do we kind of draw the line on that stuff? I mean, it makes more sense in the ie seven thing, but it did feel a little weird. But I don't know. What do you yeah. think, Dave?
1: It seems, that seems like the ultimate penalizing the user. <laughs> I mean, like, they, I don't know, that user just, they just want a damn t-shirt. Um, but I guess you're trying to encourage them to upgrade, but you want them to, like, try and upgrade and abandon the cart just to save 6%. I don't know. Interesting. I'm i am all for tricks, for attention,
0: but. Yeah. But, Maybe but, it was for marketing. I don't know. Yeah. It seems
2: like it. No.
0: Yeah, but marketing to just web nerds,
2: devs. This. Maybe they're hiring.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I almost. Yeah. Well, I mean, gosh. I, um, I, I, I.
1: I. There is this kind of conference thing where you insult IE and you get a bunch of laughs. I've heard somebody was like, "It's kind of like the uh, I don't know, like just flew in from Chicago and boy, or." my arms tired or something. It's just like the I don't know,
0: it's I just, know especially at the web conferences, man i e jokes they always they always get a few chuckles and it's like we should like make a stand if you're a speaker, no, no any, more
2: i e jokes no <laughs> more. <IE> or <jokes. laughs> just
1: clever i e jokes
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Just, I don't know
2: sometimes I wonder what the difference is between like supporting um, you know disabled users or supporting, you know, mobile browsers and all that kind of thing versus supporting IE. Like everybody wants to give up support for IE, but yet they, they want to have uh, good accessibility and things like that. And so I kind of think it's all usability and we shouldn't be so quick to throw the, the yeah. IE users out.
0: Right. They're, yeah. they're, 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 they're peas in a pod in a way.
2: Mm-hmm. It's all about supporting uh, an experience that's not the, you know, the base experience, I guess.
0: (sighs) Nicole has gotten more questions sent in by users for this episode of Shop Talk Show than any other guest so far. (laughs) So let's get into it. The Q&A section of Shop Talk Show. Do we have a sound for that? Uh, Let me just, Yeah.
1: yeah. (laughs) This is the best part of my job. <laughs> so,
2: <laughs> what actually is that?
1: It's a soundboard I found. I once it costs money, but it, I realized, hey, if I can pipe sound effects into Skype calls, this is wonderful. <laughs>
0: um, so yeah, we're, I bet I bet fifty people know. I'm trying to. It's right there. It's just one of those '80s rock ballad, right? What's oh, that on? was. Oh, that was uh, the Who, or no, yeah, the. the uh, the Who. Um, Won't be fooled again. I think,
1: I'm blanking. I can't do this live.
0: We of okay. across
2: ACBC. Uh, <laughs> you're
0: right, maybe. Uh, <laughs> We have a question from Shane Murphy. We're going to group some of these OOCSS questions together, just because you know what, n- n- like like this is Nicole's baby. This is a, a big thing, but it has been a lot of years be- beating this beating this drum per se. So we're going to we're not subject her to an entire episode of it and talk about some other stuff as well. But let's start out with it. Shane Murphy says, "What are your thoughts on OOCSS?" I mean, she's probably asking, <laughs> he's probably asking us, not her, as a. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it almost always a case of adding bloat to the h t m. l. to avoid bloat in the c s s would it be better to reuse the c s s by adding extra selectors to the rule set in the style sheet rather than classes in the h t m l uh uh with the rise of- okay let's just let's so just like stop comma it delimited? Then. yeah i guess you know like like you know it's the classic question, right? Like, wh- why don't I keep my HTML as absolutely clean as possible and write really complicated selectors to select the things I need to select? Or, you know, be more, I don't know. Or may- maybe you ought to start out with, like, your, your like, your, like two-minute blurb on, on, on what OOCSS is, if that would be okay.
2: Yeah, sure. Um, so object-oriented CSS is just the idea that we can sort of apply programming best practices when we're developing CSS. So it's super simple. It's, you know, realizing that, you know, we used to think that CSS was really this entirely different domain and the rules didn't apply, up was down and down was up, but it turns out good programming concepts like dry, don't repeat yourself, really work as well in CSS as they do in, in normal programming. So um OOCSS basically looks at how to write scalable CSS, how to make it so that um, people of different levels can write CSS. You can right now, or well, you know, before OOCSS, you get somebody new on your team and it takes them a really long time to ramp up and figure out um, how all the CSS works. Once you have OOCSS in place, they can start doing simple tasks almost right away. They can start building pages without even understanding what's happening in the CSS And then as their skill level develops, then they can become part of the core group that modifies the objects. And so it provides a little bit of a gentle ramp up.
0: Oh, nice. I hadn't thought about it in context of how an organization might use it, but it certainly applies there. So Shane's question is, uh, like, I I don't know, so you you have a div in in some markup, and that div, uh, maybe in OOCSS, has a variety of, maybe, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, has a variety of classes on it, which kind of describe, um, you know, how that thing's going to be styled and how the things inside of it are going to be styled. So you might have three or four classes on something, perhaps, uh, uh, and he's saying, you know. That's HTML bloat, and the other way to do it would be to, you know, to, to move to that CSS. complexity into CSS. I mean, bloat might be a weird word, but that's kind of how people think about it.
2: Sure. Well, there are two things I'd say to that. First is, um, in theory, you would think the HTML would get bigger. What I've seen in practice with my clients is that the HTML actually gets smaller. Um, because they'll have had you know 15 different ways of basically writing the same visual functionality, and one of them will be super optimized and perfect and amazing, and then the other 14 will be kind of crappy. <laughs> and so um, the average is that the I've seen the HTML get smaller at. Um, you know, at the different organizations that I've worked with. Facebook had it, I think, 50% reduction in the HTML size.
0: Wow, you've uh, often talked about how, how much smaller you made the CSS, but you've made a drastic reduction of the HTML as well.
2: Yeah, I mean, the thing is that once you have one way of um, coding a particular visual paradigm, then it makes sense to spend time optimizing that one way, right, and getting it so that it's absolutely perfect. It has the minimum number of... Um, elements and it's, you know, really, really slick and works in all the browsers. Whereas if you have 15 ways of doing the same thing, you can't spend that much time on any one thing. You're too busy like putting out fires. Um, so that's the first thing I'd say. And the second is that sometimes when people first go to OOCSS, they misunderstand it a little bit and they think that they should make one, um, class name for each property value pair. Um, (laughs) Right. I don't really recommend that. I think that that's dangerous, and you'd sort of like pouring concrete on your design. I don't know how you would change things later. Um, I recommend making one class for each, like, real legitimate thing. So, like, a rounded corner box might have, you know, a class associated with it. Um, a background color might have a class associated with it. That way you can combine that rounded corner box with other background colors. But that doesn't mean I have classes like, you know... Top left corner rounded and things like that. That that's when you know you've really taken it too far.
0: That's too far. Yeah. Too far. <laughs> oh interesting. Okay, Shane. So the answer is you're 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 just assuming that OOCSS equals HTML bloat, but that's some usually, sometimes, at least in some cases, the opposite of true. You got one from Bran here. You want to do this one, Dave?
1: Yeah. Is there gonna be a book about OOCSS? This is kind of this kind of fundamental thinking about CSS is a rare find, and I would buy a book from her hand right away. You've got a buyer, Nicole.
2: <laughs> I know. I have so many buyers, actually. Someone comes up to me basically every time I speak. The thing is that I, I'm comfortable speaking now, and I'm such a terrible writer. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not that I haven't been working on a book. It's that, um, yeah, it's rough. No matter how much I work on it, it stays really, really rough. Um, Maybe I should just put it on GitHub and say, well, it'll be what it'll be. At least it'll be out there. I'm not sure. Um, I've been kind of thinking about those options. But, yeah. Yeah. I actually had somebody say to me, your writing, what did they say? Nobody who didn't already understand would understand after reading your writing. I was like, oh, oh, that's harsh. (laughs) (gasps) Jeez. Yeah, right?
0: Wow. Wow. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i don't know i don't know the book that i've done one book and it was just such a daunting process that i i find like god i really want to do another one if nothing else for i don't know it gets your name out there more and and certainly there's like money which is cool uh but it feels so daunting i wonder if you know i like that i kind of like the little a list of art books or whatever where there are these tiny little things I'm like that doesn't seem so daunting mm.
2: I could
0: write that
2: maybe yeah yeah maybe that would be better yeah they instead of always heavy example based books though which i like too i kind of like reading the list of parts so that i get the broad strokes of um, sure. you know what's happening and then i like delving into something with a lot of examples because somehow that that makes stuff gel in my brain a little better yeah
0: good point uh we have one from kia moon here kia moon just he didn't I don't, you know, I honestly don't know if this is a man or a woman. Uh, but they do an app called Ico Moon, which I've been promoting a little bit because I think it's really neat, which is this like, uh, it's an icon font builder. So instead of just like downloading it, like, oh, here's a cool icon font. Let me download the entire thing and at font face it and start using the icons that I choose from it. It's like, I know I need these eight icons. And then you, you click those eight and you get, um, you know, an icon font that is really small. It just represents mm-hmm. those eight, and it allows you to map them to to proper characters instead of just being like A B C D E F G H I. D, you map like an arrow to an arrow, or like a face to a snowman face, or something. So they kind of make a little bit more sense. Anyway, that has nothing to do with the question. I just thought mm-hmm. I'd give a shout out because thanks, Ki Moon, for
2: yeah. for writing I saw in. that. It looks really cool. The, yeah, the, the project yeah. looks really neat.
0: Yeah, it is. It's it's fun. I've actually like used it in some deployed project stuff, so it's legit too. Uh, they ask. I'm just going to say they in lieu of not knowing. I'm very sorry. Is there any? Uh, is there anything wrong with adding three, four, or even more classes to one HTML element? I, I usually use classes. For to change spacing, colors, floats, sizes, rounded corners, et cetera. If I catch myself using the same set of classes on many different HTML elements, I make a new class and then use extend in SAS to, so to inherit, from that set of classes. So let's say they used like uh, spacing one color three float four. you know, and, and then they caught themselves using that, that same div with those same set of classes, 10 different times in their HTML, then they would make class module two and extend those four different classes, which, you know, kind of makes sense. I think it's a good way of finding balance and finding out how to define a new object. What do you think about this approach?
2: It's interesting. It's, it's backwards from the way that I usually go. Um, that doesn't that doesn't make it wrong. I mean, it seems like it could work. Um, my one worry would be this: is that 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 approach sounds like it would work for someone who's already a CSS expert. Um, but right. I usually try to write my CSS so that um, it can be used by someone who has no idea what's happening under the under the hood. Um, I think every front end developer's goal should be to make your back-end engineers more useful, and um, the way I've found to do that is if you build actual objects, so rather than, you know, float left, this, not being classes, you build like a thing and you show them exactly how and when to use that thing. Um, the, the goal for me is always that they should be able to know when to use it and how to use it and how to modify it without ever understanding how CSS works. So they shouldn't even need to know how a float works or that if you use a float, you probably need to clear it or anything like that. Um, and so far, that's actually really worked for me. Um, I met, uh, you know, you you do work for clients, and then you sort of wonder how it all turned out in the end. And um, so at WebStock this year, or no, when was I at WebStock? Last year, ha. Huh. <laughs> I um, met this uh, developer from Facebook, and I sort of a little bit trepidatiously asked him how it was going, because you never really know, right? It could go completely off the rails after you leave or whatever. So I kind of wanted to know, and um, he said actually that it was that it was great. That he didn't understand CSS, but that he was able to build pages all on his own, and that he wasn't needing um, to nice. bother the front end team. Yeah, right. I was, you know, I'm like asking all nervous, and then it turns out that it's it's really working out. Uh, but part of doing that is that you have to build objects that someone can um, use without understanding. <laughs>
0: Yeah. So yeah, it's some validation that your, your theory is, is, is highly effective, right? I like that sentiment of, you know, you know, writing and naming or naming is certainly a part of it too, right? Uh, mm. Doing such a smart that it makes, that it makes a developer possibly able to, I don't know, to write HTML with the right classes on it and get stuff done instead of having to rely on you every second.
2: Yeah, definitely. And you know what? Honestly, it makes the front end work so much better because you're basically freed up to do all the fun stuff, which is like, you know, how to code this brand new thing, which is, uh, you know, exciting and, and different and challenging. Like, how are you going to get the, the CSS gradients to go in the right direction and that mm-hmm. kind of thing? And, and you don't have to do all of the, we need yet another page, which is a subtle variation on pages we already have. Um, basically, you give that task to your back end engineers, and it works a lot better. And they're happy too, believe it or not, because they're sort of freed up and their their process works better.
0: That is awesome. I think that nails that question. We have one from Will H. Dave.
1: Yeah, to wrap or not to wrap. Got into a code argument, code, code-gument, <laughs> I love that word, <laughs> about whether it is okay to use a div wrapper versus just using the body tag to do the same Uh and then he links to an article at Common Design and we can link that up in the show notes. I'll post it here in the old chat of Maroon-y. uh But the context is a non-responsive site. So that it's a centered, you know, div or centered area, centered content with a custom background image that needs to line up with some foreground elements maintaining uh centering, even if the page is too small and some box shadow on either side of the div are div wrappers a thing of the past or are are thing i'm not reading very well are div wrappers a thing of the past in html or html5 or can we continue to use div wrappers with no shame classic div wrappers good div wrappers bad
0: but 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 on the on the like on like the main like a i don't know Like, instead of doing div class page wrap, instead just make the body narrower, body width 80% or something, Uh, and then setting a full page background on the HTML element instead. I assume that's what Will is kind of talking about here, right?
2: Oh, okay. Now I get it. Huh. Yeah, not just any other. It doesn't matter. (laughs) Is that an okay answer? i mean you don't want to add any you don't want to add a ton of unnecessary um markup to your page right because selector performance degrades with um with really deeply nested markup and things like that but like a div here or there particularly one that you're not adding or removing classes from dynamically it just doesn't matter that much i don't think do what makes sense
0: i agree so this article is just like, hey, you don't need to uh, oh, that one div page drop. You can you can squish in the body instead. But like, you know, that's great, it's cool,
2: and it's nerdy, and you're like, oh, ha neat. But like, whatever. <laughs>
0: Exactly. Don't don't lose sleep over that one. Uh, as far if I if I can if I can crank my nerd brain a little bit, uh, and I didn't read this article that you linked to, but I'm pretty sure it used to be a problem, like way 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 back. There was like a weird like IE5 bug with changing the body width or something, and it hasn't been a problem in a very long time. So if you want to use body rock and roll, but otherwise if you want to use a page wrap, whatever. I honestly still use page wrap to this day. Or like a just a random div that where I feel a little more comfortable about about changing the width of of something like that. I just leave the body to d- do its natural body. There's there is thing. some weird stuff with body. There's like like if you if you set the background on body, it like does a weird thing where it like moves it to the background of the HTML element in some circumstances and stuff. Any element where there's some like weird voodoo on it that does weird stuff like per the spec. Much like, mm, better just to leave, leave it alone. Yeah, let's just leave that guy alone.
1: Hmm. Yeah. I think I like I think rapper divs are A okay. I'm a pro I'm pro rapper. I love raps. I love rapping. Um especially
0: Jay Z, right?
1: I think the divinus thing is like when you have like you you know, back in the day you used to have to like make like twenty divs to make a rounded corner or like, you mm. know, every link in your navigation was like 12 elements. So you could have like a sliding door in a highlight or something. So
0: yeah, that's that how I... so bad that if now, if you only use one, it still feels good.
2: Mm-hmm. The, the other thing too, is that I, I feel like people kind of took it too far. Like if you look at the early, a list part examples of how to make a rounded corner box, they basically use the content in the box, like the heading and the paragraph that are inside it to um, put the, the rounded corner on. And a lot of people have that in their mind as an ideal, like, you know, we would have so few divs because we're using these elements that happen to be in there. But, um, especially from an OOCSS perspective, you don't want to depend on what content happens to be in the box because you want someone to be able to put whatever content they need in that box when they want to reuse it again later. Um, so that like, you know, really, uh, strong arguments about divitis are actually bad for code, I think.
0: Amen. Is mm. that a thing? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. We're doing really good, guys. We're like, we're like, we did the intro and we did the first kind of half of the questions, in a perfect 30 minutes pretty much. I want to talk about a sponsor, Christopher Schmidt, really nice guy, lives down in Austin, Texas with Dave and his I believe wife if not soon to be Ari. Uh run a a a, a thing called Environments for Humans, which you can see at environmentsforhumans.com. They do a ton of conferences. I bet Christopher Schmidt has done more web conferences than any other human man. <laughs> a lot of them are uh, yeah, right? A lot Absolutely. of them Absolutely or just a human being. Uh, our, our, uh, um, he does a lot of online ones. So he does a couple in person ones called In Control, and I think there's another. He's going to expand that a little bit, but he does way more online ones. Uh, and this is really good because the very next one that he's doing is called the CSS Summit, which you can get to at csssummit.com. And I was like, this is a good time for you to advertise on this show because literally all three people on this episode are going to be presenting at the CSS Summit this year. So. <laughs> uh, uh, Nic- Nicole's title I just looked earlier is called "Essential Tools for UI Performance." All right, something I'm sure it will be amazing. I don't think I've seen you do that one.
2: No, it's a brand new one, so no one's
0: seen me do that one. Nice, brand yeah. new. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm gonna recycle something old. We'll see. <laughs> no, I <laughs> don't. I, don't know. I have a new one. I just started working. What's your on title? Last night. Uh, right now it's called What We Don't Know. That's the one I was like, uh, oh, I probably won't have time to do a new one. And that's one I've been doing. I've done that one like four, four times or so. Uh, which I really like. Uh, I will definitely update it and there will be new stuff in there. Uh, but it's just, it's about the theory of, of like how a web, re- you know, like on any given web request, there's so little that you know about, about the person, about the bandwidth, about the device, about the, all this stuff and how accommodating for those unknowns is kind of a good idea. Ooh, and that Dave.
2: Looking forward yeah, to that one. Thanks.
0: There's some, like, you know, it's mostly jokes and sweating. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Even better.
0: <laughs> and Dave, fluid media and responsive web design, which is yeah. near and dear to Dave's heart. It's
1: it'll just, it's your Uncle Dave sitting around talking about flexibility. Yeah. So nice. picture me doing yoga for a good half hour.
0: <laughs> Can you do that thing where you cross your legs and then and then you like cross them again? Oh, I can't even describe it. Why did I even yeah. bring it? But um, yes, essentially. Yep, yep.
2: <laughs> I'm actually playing with responsive web design for the first time and having some fun. it's it's really fun. It Is sort that, of
1: puts the fun back into web design if you've done a whole bunch of static sites for a long time.
2: But, mm. uh,
1: I I think there's maybe another oh CSS question about. Responsive web design, but I'd be curious your thoughts on how your objects are translating as you as you move to responsive. Has it has it been easy for you?
2: Well, yeah, somewhat.
1: Okay, there's <laughs> a learning curve.
2: Are flexible. They're all um, the only thing that has any widths associated with it in OCSs is the grids, and everything else flexes to fit whatever container you put it in. So that means that when you need to do responsive stuff, that's sort of naturally responsive where it just like grows and shrinks at those in between widths, not at the breakpoints. Um, yeah. just happens naturally with OOCSS. Um, so that made it easier. But then I started looking for patterns and trying to figure out like, what are the things people do at breakpoints? And, um, that's where it got kind of more fun and also a lot harder. Um, But it seems like to me people, I I won't remember the whole list, but people make things appear, they make them disappear, they make them shrink proportionally, they make a particular part of them shrink, they make them come into two columns, or they make them drop below each other. Uh, I think that actually might be the whole list. And so I started thinking that if I could build a framework where um, you could apply classes that trigger those particular behaviors at different um, breakpoints, then you could have much less uh, overall code written for the responsive site and be able to reuse the classes that trigger the behaviors.
1: But. That's cool. I, I'm i very, yeah, I want to talk to you more about this because uh, I'm very interested in, like, how all that works, you know. You, like, you have, like, an iOS-style table view and that turns into, like, a gallery or, like, a shopping cart or something. Uh, uh, it's just interesting.
0: Without changing <laughs> any markup is the idea. Yeah, just one
1: class will auto kind of do that, but obviously your design dictates what you do, but yeah. interesting.
2: I think this would handle more like the, the like general cases of what you would change, you know, like this grid in lines when you get at certain width and this other one doesn't, it shrinks proportionally. Then when you have something that really changes and looks like I had one client that had me build, um, it was box.net and the same, um, basically the same markup needed to look like a vertical list in one view with sort of a media block inside and some controls. And then in another view, it needed to look like a gallery with a bunch of icons and controls that showed on hover. And so when you have something that's really so different between the two, I think it just makes sense to um, just build that same markup, but, you know, build it as a very specific thing. I don't think you can abstract that out basically. Yeah.
0: Mm. Cool. Mm. Well, so hopefully – maybe that answers – I had a question that I kind of like earmarked like, oh, maybe we'll get to this one, but it was Dennis Car- C- Cardies uh, was talking about this literally, OOC and Responsive Design, and he's like, well <laughs> – he had a class name that he presented here and he called it size one of three, right? Or something like a, like a, you know, that you might use to be like, mm-hmm. this is the first of three columns in a grid or something. And how he's worried about that. Cause like, you know, that make, that class name makes no sense at some breakpoints
2: points. Mm-hmm. So um, the thing with OOCSS is that it's fine for a class to not make sense. What's not fine is to make the same class do something else at a different break point. So you can't, Take size one of three and just put a media query in there that says size one of three is actually a hundred percent width um, at this okay. breakpoint because that that makes it really hard to follow your code and it also means that you know if inside that one of three you needed to have something that actually stayed in thirds even after that breakpoint you couldn't do it because you'd be messing with the base class. Um, what it does mean is that just like most things in CSS in OOCSS you can layer on a selector that triggers that behavior so. Um, on the grid line, you could add a selector that basically says this particular grid, um, um, you know, becomes 100% width at this breakpoint. That kind of thing.
0: Yeah. So that class name is, he's right. That's not a good class name in this case, if that was the behavior that you're...
2: Well, it's, it's okay to have the class name because, well, usually people start from one side or the other. So they either start from the web view and work their way down to the... Um, mm-hmm down to the mobile view or they start from the mobile view and work their way up. And I think it's okay to have your base classes respond to um, your base design, but then um, but then you don't want to just modify those classes. You have to add other classes that trigger the behavior, in my opinion anyway. But then I have a bunch of experiments that I haven't committed yet. So we'll see what people think when they actually see the code.
0: Yeah, right on. Uh, cool. So that was, yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad we covered that. Actually, you know what? I think the last time I saw you was this was a while ago we went out for some like nerd dinner thing or noodles <laughs> and stuff you remember that? Oh, oh, and yeah. we, we talked about like super briefly the idea of you know because a lot of this responsive web design and stuff is let's do all this with the same markup and not change any markup and, and and I think our conversation was like why is that exactly? wouldn't it be kind of cool to like through media queries or some kind of something literally serve a different template? like yeah. like without having to do crazy javascript or or i don't know some some kind of native way to do that are you still like think that's a cool idea
2: um, I can't. yeah i think it's a yeah. um, idea I, I guess don't i don't know how to i don't know how to make it work i kind of think it should be something that that browser vendors would implement that you could basically say the source for this particular section of page is blah and then with a media query if that section of the page isn 't currently showing then that portion of the html doesn 't get loaded, but then you don 't want to have a bunch of extra HTTP requests either so i 'm not sure exactly how that would work
0: yeah yeah it is it's kind of weird territory but now that you know the, the the conversation about responsive images got you know started they're starting like let's let's move media queries into HTML and then maybe you know maybe with this picture element thing maybe we can put media queries into in to say which version to to show, I'm like, well, if we can do that, what, wouldn't it be kind of cool to use media queries to be like, if this media query matches, use this HTML, and it, like, just generically, and, and, like, attach media queries to scripts, too, you know? Like, if this media query doesn't match, don't load this script, and, like, God, I just, <laughs> I'm like, I want media queries to work on everything! Although I, I, mean, I realize that's probably a little short-sighted, and I'm being an idiot, probably. But.
2: I don't know, I mean, I, I definitely feel like right now, media queries are, like, a half of a solution or something. There, there are just so many issues around using them in a way that doesn't suck for the the end user. Um, but yeah, I think I think they do have to evolve a bit.
0: Oh, cool. Let's move on to our second batch of questions here. I like that we went on this. That was a very quality. I, I apologize for that,
1: but <laughs> <Back, laughs> You should fanfare. go. You should go to CSS Summit. We'll be talking about that stuff all the time. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, given the ever-changing, this is Matthew Lean. Given the ever-changing landscape of HTML5, CSS3, and hot drama, what tools would you guys use to validate your code? And what methods—pre-commit hooks, IDE integrated, copy and pasting, or gasp—the command line—would uh, you use? I chucked this in there because I was like, "Oh, Nicole knows a little something about it's kind of about validation with the tools that she's built."
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I part of why we built, Nicholas Zakis and I built CSS Lint is because um, we felt like the validator was just silly. You know, it, it checked for um, things that didn't matter and it didn't understand very common um, normal practices like star and underscore hack. Um, you know, it would basically freak out over something like that and yet it would let you do stupid things like combine properties that are going to obviously cause bugs. So... Um, we wrote CSS Lint in part to do that and in part to test uh, duplication. So, um, you know, I should admit that when I first started writing HTML, I was using this crazy editor that wouldn't let you save if it wasn't valid. Um, <laughs> if, it, if it wasn't valid XML. So... Because I wow. couldn't afford I couldn't afford to pay for an editor, <laughs> so I took the one that was freely offered to me that that had this restriction of basically it had to be valid. So yeah. after a few years of that, it's been so beaten into me that I I don't have to check um, for that in particular, except every now and then I'll miss something, but but um, well for the most part not. So for me, it's more important to figure out like, you know, oh, did I combine a couple properties that are kind of gonna cause a box model bug or something like that. So, CSSLint.net is what I use for that. Yeah, and it also right, which actually. literally. I'm sorry, go ahead. They did mention pre-commit hooks too, and um, CSSLint runs on uh, it's all JavaScript. So when you use it, it runs completely in in the browser and using Web Workers. But um, it can also run on Node and um, um, and a few other platforms. So it's pretty easy to integrate. And, and actually, more importantly, it's really easy to write your own tests. So, you know, I may not know exactly what the rules should be for your company, but something along the lines, if you've got, you know, a particular blue, which is your company blue, maybe you want to write a rule that doesn't allow, um, for colors of blue that are within a certain range of that one. Um, that kind of rule can make it a lot easier to track code when you've got a lot of people committing from different teams and don't necessarily, you know, know what each other are up to.
0: That's hardcore.
2: Yeah, it's I, kind of fun because, you know, everybody makes color picker mistakes where you just picked from the wrong
0: pixel, yeah, right? Right. Mm, yeah. I love that. So, yeah, I mean, and it's open. Or, oh, I shouldn't even say that. Is it open source? Some of it open it source? Is.
2: Yeah, all no, open it's source. completely open source. Well, we didn't open source the web UI because it seemed pretty specific, but, um, yeah. yeah, the entire tool is open source and free to use and all that good stuff.
0: Right. So, yes, you could absolutely make it a pre-commit hook.
2: Yeah, you if can. you're if you and it's actually really simple nerd. to write your own rules. Like you don't yeah, have to cool. be a huge yeah. n- nerd to write to write the rules. That part's easy. Um, okay. Well, easy is an exaggeration, but, yeah, uh, right. but you can find one that like tests for something similar to what you're looking for, and then you basically swap a few things out and it'll totally work.
0: A script kitty like me could do it.
2: Mm, yep.
0: Yeah. Mm. Okay. Well, good question, Matthew. I would say, well, we covered, you know, he just said validation in general. So he might be talking about HTML validation as well, or possibly, possibly more, but you know, I mean, we covered a tool there. So what do you got?
1: I was going to say, uh, code kit. Uh, I like, I've been using that. I like it. It's from the less guys, right? I think.
0: Uh, It's just one, one guy that Brian Jones, dude. Oh, is it? Yeah. Awesome. I mean,
1: it's a quality piece of software, but it, uh, will run JS hint. As you're typing, so as you save, oh, that's awesome. Um, mm-hmm. So, in mm-hmm. JS Hint is like JS Lint, which was like written by Douglas Crockford. It's really like super strict. This is how you do JavaScript. I you can pick. Not.
0: You can pick either but one, right? In code. yeah, world, yeah.
1: And, but JS Hint is pretty forgiving, and yeah, you can kind of like dumb it down for different uses. So, I, I it's improved my coding for sure because I was just I was just riffing and I was probably breaking stuff so
0: there I was just kidding. working with it because you can just download Js hint and just like load it on a on a any web page and just like pass it a string of JavaScript and be like and it will just return to you an object of the errors
2: mm, that's awesome
0: yeah it's totally cool because so I'm working on this project CodePen or whatever which is not I think next week I'll announce some kind of hope, hopefully kind of thing that people can do right now it's kind of not Quite live, Uh, but it you know we why not put JS hint in right? It's really easy. Just of course you write JavaScript in this app. Just you just press a little key command, and up comes a little dialog box that's like, "Good work, dude!" Or you have errors on this, this, and this. You know, it's just one of the easiest things to use ever. Like I bet CSS hint is, although slightly less experienced.
2: CSS who has an integration into uh, Eclipse and Cloud ID and a few other IDs as well. Oh, awesome. So, nice. yeah, that can make it. Uh,
0: and it's written awesome. in JavaScript, right?
2: It's a hundred percent JavaScript. Yeah, we didn't. What we didn't want is to have um, uh, people uploading their potentially super secret CSS to our server. And so we we made the decision pretty early on that the tool needed to run 100% in the browser um, so that we didn't have to deal with any security stuff or, you know, oh, just free right. us up
0: a lot. Yeah. It never even touches a server. It happens yeah. on your client.
2: Yeah, exactly. Fancy. It's a little bit sad because it means we don't know what kind of cool stuff people are doing with it, but hey.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true. You don't know, you know, get cool stats. <clears> hmm. <throat> Mm, we got one of the really common questions. I'm sorry. Go ahead. You got
1: something. I'm just thinking of more, uh, but Coda two, which just came out for better, for worse. Uh, it has a validator in HTML five validator. It's Mm. pretty good, but it's also pretty like super strict. It's like, I don't know. You spelled your own name wrong error. And, um, that's not true, but it's just, it's pretty strict. So
2: it's funny given that HTML five is not that strict.
1: Yeah, right. no. That's what's weird. <laughs> it's like where, you, yeah, we have like was... these these custom attributes going on, and it's just like can't use those. That doesn't exist. That's not in an spec. And you're just like, wow. Okay. Oh, that's but- annoying. You're like, i it's just running into a problem works.
0: with Code Mirror. You, uh, you know, there's a bunch of like open source projects that do syntax highlighting, which is pretty useful and cool. But like, if you let you know, let's say you have a list item with an image inside it, and you choose not to close the image tag because you totally don't have to in, in HTML5, it will report an error on the on the closing list tag. and will be like, "Oh, you're closing this tag too early because you haven't closed something above it." And I'm like, "No, you're wrong. That's mm. legal." <laughs>
2: That's such yeah. a waste of time to get I mean, that's going to keep you from fixing your actual error. Cause it gets lost in the fray. Oh,
0: good right. point.
1: Yeah. Anyhow, we, uh, there's a lot of cool tools, Matthew. You know, I suggest checking them out. So download I wish everyone. there were better
2: tools for that did CSS code completion. I haven't found anything except dreamweaver that does good CSS code completion. And um, sometimes I'd like a lighter weight tool.
0: Um yeah. I agree yeah, with that. that. Means... I always forget like like I'm um, like is it white dash space colon no rap, <laughs> yeah. no space, or is it white space colon no dash wrap, dang it I, always...
2: <laughs> I forget See? all of them. It's ridiculous. i've been doing c s s for what like a decade now, and it's a margin <laughs> huh
1: <laughs> margin with an e <laughs> no, yeah, I do that daily, yeah yeah. <laughs> I set the margarine to 12 and it didn't work. <laughs> um, no, uh, CSS Edit used to do that really well, and I, I used that all the time. And then once I got off of that, uh, yeah, you get like, you're stupid. <laughs> you're just breaking everything.
2: It's just like. Save in any format, too, right? So you could like write your CSS however you wanted, like have, you know, line breaks between property value pairs or whatever you wanted. And then you could choose your format for saving. So you could save it kind of compressed or I kind of liked yeah. that about it.
0: That's what CodeKit
2: yeah. does, too. Oh, does it? Oh, cool. Maybe I'll have to try CodeKit.
0: But now oh. I'm
1: flotting my divs all wrong. I'm not.
0: <laughs> 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 oh, speaking of web stock... Chris Marquez was there, and he said he saw your presentation, Nicole. Called our CSS best practices are killing us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and included a link for that. This was a real eye opener for me. At first, I was like, "What." I don't know about that, but eventually <laughs> I came around. Can you discuss like how that, uh, and then it goes on to what, which was the probably the most popular question we got from readers, was like how that has to do and how OS has to do um, in relationship to Jonathan Snooks, who watched episode one for that uh, relates to his smack scalable arch- modular architecture for CSS. Uh, people just are confused, like are they separate philosophies or do they work together? Or are there differences? What's up with that?
2: Okay. Um, Well, so the best practices are killing us talk, I think this was the first part of the question, came out of me realizing that it wasn't before that I thought, oh, we're having all these bad outcomes. You know, our CSS is ending up bloated. It's ending up weird. You know, we're ending up with a lot of repeated stuff and duplication and people can't tell what something's going to do. It's really unpredictable. And I'd noticed all these issues with the CSS, but I hadn't put it together that like the things we were teaching people was best practices are actually really bad and, and lead to those kind of uh, code problems. So, um, just before Webstock was when I finally had the aha moment of realizing, like this isn't an accident. We're actually trying to do the wrong thing, so we're ending up with the wrong results. Um, so that's the that's the first part of where um, where the best practices um, are killing us. Like thinking. a hot
0: drama presentation. <laughs>
2: Wasn't mm. as dramatic as the title sounds like
1: <laughs> Really pejorative title
2: <laughs> My next talk will be called that. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Um so the other part, um smacks. Uh to me they seem almost the same. Um really similar. I don't get into some of the stuff about um about directory structure because at least for my clients they all kind of have a directory structure and things like that that uh that already you know works for them and it and it makes more sense to make the system fit their existing system than to you know have an opinion about that Mm -hmm. um but yeah no i think they're really similar and i think they work well together
0: case closed (laughs) chris thanks for the question dave you got one Oh yeah, here we
1: go. Uh, so this is from Chandler Calvert. He's asking, "How do you know when to call yourself a professional when you're a developer or designer? How do you know when to call yourself a professional?"
0: <laughs> when you repeat oh. it, it sounds like it's going to be a joke, but it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Just a shorty. I like throwing little ones like this in here. Well philosophical stuff i i I wrote as a note to myself that like the like the oxford dictionary version of professional i believe just means like when you get paid for it then you're a professional Mm. but i don't know do we want to take it any deeper than that
2: (sighs) i mean i think that's part of the issue with our industry is that we haven't made it easy for people to ramp up slowly like if you're a java developer you can graduate with your degree in cs and then um get an intro Java job and, you know, start coding away on Java every day. And little by little, you move up and you get more complicated projects and um, you become a senior Java developer and, and so forth. And I think in the front end, we haven't figured out how to give people that gentle ramp up yet. So they end up feeling, a lot of people have expressed to me that they end up feeling like they're always running behind and they're never quite, you know, never quite catching up.
0: Uh, I get that too. That's a kind of a good point that they feel like, you yeah, know, there's so much new stuff. How do you keep up? And am I, am I, am I bad? Does that, does mm-hmm. that make me less valuable in this field? Cause I don't, I haven't, you know, I haven't read the latest and greatest. That's Yeah. Tough. The
2: latest, you know, whatever.js that got yeah. released yesterday. Or
0: <laughs> I would say if you, if you're in that camp and you can possibly convince yourself that you're valuable, no matter what, that would be good. I, I there's, there's, there comes a level of, you being good at your job that that starts to be valuable no matter what, right? Because you're a good communicator. You you know you know how to look for tools when you need them and that type mm. of thing. Yeah, uh, but I do
2: feel like as an industry we have to make it easier for people to have that ramp up phase because I think that contributes into that problem.
0: Which is the opposite. A lot of people like. Uh, do you think titles are a part of that? Because there's a lot of people that uh, and I've been a part of this brigade at some point when i was a little less when i was a little bit more of an absolutist about things which i'm I'm totally not anymore was that like we a shoe title we're like i don't care about titles titles don't matter and a lot of people are like they kind of they kind of do matter because everybody want. in my experiences running a business this isn't me talking it's like some theoretical business owner they're like people i have a bunch of employees and these employees want titles they want to know they want to know where they sit are they senior or not senior or or whatever. And so if if we as an industry are like we reject titles, isn't that isn't that hurting and the ability?
2: Part of it is saying if you have a like junior developer title, part of that is saying it's okay to be junior. You're learning. Like these are the things we expect you to know in order to start off as a junior developer. And then there's this whole realm of things which it is okay that you do not know yet. And I think that that's I think that that's super important because people can't just like bite off the entirety of of web development in one go that that just doesn't work
1: no. yeah it's a years year long like a forever right? yeah
2: <laughs>
1: I like to say web development is like a salami it's better <laughs> when it's aged <laughs>
2: um, I see a t-shirt <laughs>
0: oh unless it's I don't know unless what is that do they age salami what but if you just leave a salami out that's no good there's gotta be some <laughs> metaphor we'll see <laughs> okay field trip to Italy learning how to make salami. Maybe we can extend it to be like, it's gotta be like cave-aged, right? You can't like, yeah. you know, they age cheese in like in like dark caves, right? But that's also where nerds get better. Dark caves. Yeah.
2: There you go. Coating away in your parents' basement until finally one day you're useful to someone. Yeah.
1: This is good. Uh, I would uh, also maybe add, if, if you have a deadline, that would probably make you a professional. So, if you're just riffing away on your you know, Warcraft you know, guilds forum, then you're you're probably a hobbyist at that point. But then if you have a deadline or money is transacted, that would make you a, a professional, I think.
0: So mm. There you go. We've been doing real good here, guys. We have. uh, Let's finish with an audio question, which is fun. We we prefer doing those, as you know, guys. So please, please send in MP3s if you can. I do tend to pick questions that I think are good over just the fact that they're audio. But I, but you know, if it's an equal quality question, I'll definitely pick the audio one every time. So we have we have one this week, and we'll we'll kind of finish out with this one. All right, here we go. Hey guys, I was just looking for your opinions on position values. I find myself adding position relative to many of the containers in websites that I create. This is, of course, allows me to use position absolute into child elements. If someone were to use a reset.css and set the default position values of all elements to relative as opposed to static, would there be any real drawbacks you would experience? Thanks. Good
1: question. Chris, didn't you have a post on this? Am I
0: crazy? So he's saying universal selector, star selector, position relative. You know, just do, just set position relative on everything. Uh, I did have a blog post where I theorized about it. I was kind of like, because I was all excited about, you know, box sizing doing it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's awesome. I'm totally on board. I'm going to use that on every project I do. I love resetting the the, 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 the box sizing value to border box. Like, what else could we use it on? I can't even remember that blog post. I'd have to Google it. But one of the things I was like, why not position relative? I find myself usually having to set position relative probably more than i would have to unset it you know because you would have to if you did this you would occasionally have to unset it because you wouldn't want to position absolute something to its direct parent maybe you wanted to set it to its parent's parent and in that case you couldn't because you'd be locked in you know you'd have to like reset it and i was like it would make things like z index work everywhere it would make things like setting top left, you could nudge everything around with top left, bottom, and right better because everything already has relatives, so you could do that. It's like it sounds like this this smart idea. Have anybody else thought about it?
2: It's funny, I don't think I use position relative that much. It's weird. <laughs> oh really? Yeah, I don't know, but you know what? I think that I think that my staying away from position relative slightly comes from really old IE bugs where it used to make backgrounds disappear and weird stuff like that. Yeah, and,
0: totally. I uh, used to have to pair it with with a hundred percent a lot to you know, yeah,
2: I yeah, agree. to get the to get has layout or whatever. Mm. Yeah, so I don't know. Maybe I'm just avoiding it because of really old irrelevant bugs. I don't, I don't know. So I just sprinkle it here and there when I when I actually need it.
0: Yeah. So, not a big one for you. I I find myself using it a fair bit just because I I like I think absolute positioning is a little underused. I kind of like using it to oh to position things around you know in context of their parent. I can't think of any really strong examples right now, but I just I feel myself typing that <laughs> fairly often and uh, I don't know, here's the problem, what I found with it, when I po- posted that blog post apparently it immediately, cr- if you do a star selector position relative, it immediately crashes i6 at least I think maybe i7 too, literally it's <laughs> on the page, it's just done it's just uh, all over mm-hmm. so, so that's kind of a problem, unless you absolutely don't care about i7, which I support, I don't care if, you, if, you, if your stats support that drop it, more power to you uh, then I don't know, maybe try it I don't know, I don't know <laughs> <laughs>
2: It had another weird effect, too, and this one comes from Thierry Koblentz. Um, if you don't use position relative anywhere, then overflow hidden doesn't crop, um, which is odd, but it means that, um, you know, you can use overflow hidden to create a new block formatting context uh, without all of the traditional drawbacks of a block for, of overflow hidden in that you'll crop off menus that happen to be inside it or pop-ups or flyouts. Um, so OOCSS has been trying an experiment with um, with not using um, position relative at all so that overflow hidden wouldn't crop. Um, mm. I don't think we're going to stick with it because too many weird. sites already use position relative, so it, it causes issues for them. Yeah. Wild. Isn't that, that is, weird?
1: Yeah, yeah really is no,
2: weird. weird. Teary's always finding random little things like that, like the edges of how the browser works.
0: Heck yeah. yeah, he's a he's a guy. He you know he's the he's the um, intrinsic ratios guy who, mm-hmm. as far as I know, came up with that like height zero and then use pad. Which you know Dave's is that's the the root yeah. of of yeah. Uncle Dave's padded box.
1: <laughs> yeah, like fitbits and all that, making videos work on responsive web design. Yeah, I, dude, I owe my whole career to him.
2: So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah if people don't follow him, they absolutely should
0: yeah hi theory Terry right just, or theory I don't know sorry, but... <laughs> uh beautiful that about wraps it up guys what do you what do you have to say
1: no that uh, uh nicole, how can people give you money, follow you on Twitter, do all that stuff how How can people get in touch with you?
2: Um, Twitter, actually, so I'm at stubbornella on Twitter, and that's really the best possible way to get a hold of me because I'm terrible at email. Um, the other way to get participate is to um, join the OOCSS Google group and um, commit code to the OOCSS project. Those are those are great ways to get involved.
1: Very cool, awesome. Uh, well, uh, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's it's really mm-hmm. awesome, and guys. Uh, if you haven't seen any of Nicole's talks, go find them. I I was telling Nicole before the show I really uh, enjoyed the Facebook optimizing talk. I think you did a Velocity VelocityConf. Um, that mm. that was awesome.
0: I really like that. You have this amazing ability that almost all these talks are like videos on your site. I feel like I speak once in a while and I never get a video. It's just I me. Mean, is it just luck of the draw? Or do you ask for it specifically?
2: Um, I do you know what, you get a lot of invites for conferences and there's like this sort of matrix of how to choose which conference to speak at and one of them is like isn't a cool place that I wanna go anyway, or has really <laughs> awesome developers at it, and another one is, you know, we'll do awesome quality video for free. <laughs> so Yeah. Yeah.
1: Cool. Good. Mm. I want
2: that.
1: Well, that's awesome. Well, thanks well, th- so
2: much for having me. This was really fun.
1: Yeah, thank you, and uh, thanks for everyone who showed up in the chat room. Really appreciate you guys. Thanks to all you guys who downloaded this. Uh, please go, uh, you know, subscribe in iTunes or vote us up or whatever you have to do. Hit hit star five, and I think that'll <laughs> uh, subscribe you to the podcast. But uh, yeah, and then follow us on Twitter. Shop at Shop Talk Show. Chris, you got anything um, else to add? Until
0: next time, my favorite people shoptalkshow.com.